Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. So we see the cost of being a disciple, and here we see Jesus challenges those who follow Jesus to consider becoming a disciple. So we're talking about the difference between being a follower and a disciple. In a world that is filled with what we call easy believism, in other words, as long as you pray a prayer, hey, as long as you pray a prayer, you can get the slides on the screen. Amen. Uh, but Jesus lays down the gauntlet in this passage, okay? So you will never experience all that Jesus has for you in faith until you become his disciple. Now, uh, just for the, the sake of where we're jumping into the story here, uh, there's just a, a, a bit of a background I want to share with you. And we actually covered that Wednesday night before this. And so if you missed that and you want to see that on our, our feeds uh, on Facebook, you can get the backstory to this. But I'm going to give you just really the spark notes, just the main points to get us up to speed about why Jesus says what he says. In today's message, we are picking up the scripture after the parable of the great feast. And this parable was a result from a group of Pharisees who hosted a party for the sole purpose of trapping Jesus and putting him into a scenario that he couldn't get out of. Time and time again, we see in scriptures where they did that. So they invited him to dinner in one of their homes, so they had home field advantage, right? And so, while they were there, they brought a man with swollen arms and legs to the party. So, it's not like this man just happened to be here. He was a plank. He was a trap. Because they were eating on the Sabbath, and according to Jewish law, you don't do any kind of work, don't do anything, because that's the Lord's day. And so, they brought this man, who was an obvious need. And so, What ensues later is, here's the trap. Jesus knew that the Pharisees' purpose was trying to trick people into breaking their laws. If they could get Jesus to heal this man on the Sabbath, he has broken one of our laws. And that's what they were setting him up for. And so they were trying to trick Jesus. And so if he would heal the man, uh, they could have said that he broke a law. But of course Jesus healed the man. And we see in the passages that it forced the group to realize that if someone is in need, whether it is a Sabbath day or not, you need to help them. And he kind of decommissioned or kind of ruined their trap. And so they, they look bad. And then he started teaching about humility because the Pharisees, when they were sitting at the table, they were all kind of trying to compete to sit at the head of the table. And so their desire at that meeting, I mean, they, here they are meeting with Jesus, and their desire was greater to be seen rather than make connections with the people they are there. And, and, and I hope it's not in here, but I know somewhere in church there are people that are going to church to be seen, not for the connections of the people that they are around. And that's what was happening here. Jesus taught that it was more important to see where you can serve over the prominent position that you can sit in. So what does that tell you and I? Our reward will not come from the praise people in this life give us, but God will reward our service in the afterlife. That our reward will not come from the fair praise of people in this life, but God will reward our service in the afterlife. Then he starts talking about priorities. 
And the great banquet occurred after one of the Pharisees at the meeting attempted to trick Jesus, or at minimum change the topic, because it wasn't working. They had planted that guy, he healed him, and they weren't able to trap him. So now this one guy kind of changes the subject. It's kind of like we said last Wednesday night. You ever been in a gathering where the conversation gets really awkward, and you want to do something to change the subject? That's what he was doing here. Uh, This guy was trying to get Jesus off topic. But... In the end, though, what happened was is that God chose the Jewish nation as his chosen people. We know that. He chose the Jews to display his love and care for the world and still has. But the parable reveals that the Pharisees, they took their chosen status for granted and then became more about them than what God was doing. And so they had their priorities out of whack. God had invited them to this great banquet and they said, no, we've got better things to do. They talked, one talked about he had to go check out a piece of land he bought. Another one talked about he had bought some, some oxen that he had to go check out. And one said, hey, I just got married. My wife won't let me. He didn't say my wife won't let me, but he did say that he was newly married. The thing is, is they didn't take the chosen status seriously. So as I was saying at the beginning of this, over the, the past few weeks, this has kind of taken on a life of its own. And I just put a slide up here so you can... You can see that in the first sermon of the month, it was starting over in the new year where we looked at the adulterous woman. She was a woman who was rescued from her sin. Jesus rescued her. Then we went to the greatness of God in Psalm 135. Regardless of what God sends to us and sends us through, He is with us and it is for our good. And then last week we talked about Jesus never fails us even when we fail him. We talked about how, you know, how many, how many, how many times we deny him, he restores us. And I'm telling you, those sermons, uh, they are, uh, I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for those passages. I'm grateful that we get to preach them. But there is one problem. If I don't keep on with the theme that God has given us, then it is no better than what many people are doing today. All three of those sermons, they, they, they scratch an itch in our heart, don't they? About, I am loved, I want to be better, and it's about, this is what I need, and this is about what I'm going through, and this is about what Jesus is going to do for me. And the Bible is filled with those kind of passages, but the one that we have today, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's a, it's a punch in the gut. Not only for you, but for me too. And we're going to just jump in here, beware, being a disciple is more about Jesus than you. It is great and meaningful to cover all of the things God does for us, like start overs, going through adversity and restoration. But if we stop there, we have fallen short of his greatest commandment for all believers, which is to go make disciples. Today's message is not one that will tickle your ears, but it will burn within the hearts of those who claim Jesus as their Savior, for those that claim to be disciples. So I, I urge you, please listen with an open heart and mind as we look at these few passages. So first we're going to see that we need to put Jesus first in everything. That is probably the most generic thing you've ever heard a preacher say, but it's true. And we're going to see what that means here in chapter 14, starting with verse 25. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must com- you must comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. 
Otherwise, you could not be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So it got real for these people that were following Jesus. So I want, if you can, go back to this point. They had just gone through, he had just gone through this moment at this, this banquet, this dinner, where they had tried to trap him. So he is walking. And when Jesus walked, it wasn't just the twelve solemnly walking and sashaying behind him everywhere he went. There was a huge following, a huge entourage, a lot of people that were following Jesus. And so they're walking towards Jerusalem, where Jesus knew the cross was looming ahead of him. They're walking towards Jerusalem, and Jesus turned around to them. Can you see? When I, when I see this, I see a group walking. And I say, all of a sudden, they're stopping, and then Jesus turns around, and just, it doesn't matter how many are in the group, his eyes are locked on each one of them. In other words, you're, you're following Jesus, he turns around, and he says, you know, you're walking, you're going down the road, and all of a sudden he goes, you know he's got something to say, right? And he tells them this, what we just read. You see, many wanted to be a part of the Jesus movement, but many still do not understand what the cost of following Jesus is. Jesus is saying that many of you are my followers. Many of you wear my t-shirts. Many of you have my bumper stickers. Many of you have my app. Many of you have seen my videos. Many of you have, have had experiences where you've been around me. You have followed from a distance. Many of you have done that. But you've been a follower in name only. But you are not my disciples. If you want to be my disciple, this is what you're going to need to do. Because the word disciple that Jesus is using here is disciple equals learner. It is much like if you were in high school or college and you get an apprenticeship to a business where you want to work at for a career or, or you're learning a trade or you're, you know, you are learning from somebody. It could be something as simple as a child learning from their father or mother a trade. It is not just book smarts. It is learning and to become like. And that's what the disciple, type of disciple, Jesus is talking about here. The measuring line between a follower and a disciple is a surrendered life. I'll say that one more time. The measuring line between a follower and a disciple is a surrendered life. I ask myself, am I a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus? And that's something you have to ask yourself, and we're going to flesh that out right here. Becoming a Christian is more than just praying a prayer. So you won't go to hell. It is living a transformed, Holy Spirit-powered life. And then he says here, actually, look, look, look. If you want to be my disciple, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. I'm sure some of you are saying, well, yeah, I've hated my brother or sister before. They just make me so mad. Or there's some of you are thinking about maybe a family member or somebody that, that you have had a long-standing feud with. This is not, you know, well, I am being blessed according to Jesus. That is not what this passage says. Again, you have to go back to the parable he just taught. Remember, there was a man that said, I can't go to the banquet because I'm, I'm newly married. 
Jesus is not saying you need to hate your family members, but Jesus is saying that many of you are my followers, but by hating someone, he means Jesus is referencing the parable of the great feast that he had just shared. Tony Evans put it this way. He said the parallel passage in Matthew helps explain what Jesus is saying. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said, The one who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I'll give you a great illustration. When I first decided, well not when I decided, when God called me at 18 to become a, a to go into the ministry, of course I had different thoughts about how that would flesh out, but I'll, I'll never forget Telling my parents, and my parents were godly, loving, God-fearing parents. I'm like, I want to be a youth pastor, Mom. Oh, James. Oh, James. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm called to do that. Well, can't you just go get something like, I could really see you working with people in like a, Physical therapy kind of thing, or nursing, or you really love people. Work with, do something like that, and then you can do your little youth ministry on the side. Now, was she being hateful? Absolutely not. What was she doing? She was saying, "Son, you better find something to pay the bills." Probably because I want you out of here. But all joking aside, according to this passage. I could have said, well, you know what, Mom, you're right. Just, just forget it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this, and I would have never been here today. And that's not, again, I'm not throwing my mother under the bus, but I can't, I'm sure that there are many people that have told their loved ones they're going into ministry, and they're going, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe you have decided that God's going to call you to do something, and you tell your parents or your children or your wife, look, I feel like God's calling this in this direction, and they're like, oh, I don't know about that. What Jesus is saying here is that at the end of the day, everybody has an input, but it's only his vote that counts. And do I regret not taking the path that my mother chose for me? Absolutely not. And I know at the end of the day, she was on her last day on this earth, she was as proud of me as she ever could have been. But folks, that's one way to look at it. Another way is we don't understand this because it doesn't happen around us. But if you go to uh, voiceofthemartyrs.com and other websites like that, you can see that there are literally people that if they recount or, or kind of walk away from the faith of their family and it's not a, a um, if they leave whatever they're in to go into Christianity, some of them lose their family status. Some of them lose their lives. We don't understand that because it doesn't happen here. But what Jesus is saying here is that, of course, you've got, the Bible says you've got to honor your father and mother. You've got to love those that are around you. But when it comes to when Jesus calls you to follow him, you don't need to be saying, well, I will in a minute, but I've got to do this with my family. It doesn't mean, look, God, I love you, but I'm going to put my family over everything else. That's what this is saying here. A disciple is already dead. What does that mean? A disciple is already dead. Look at verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. When they heard this, their stomach probably dropped because this is probably one of the most horrific things he could have said. As Jesus spoke these words, everybody saw the word picture that he was talking about. 
back in Roman culture, back when he said this, if someone was convicted and were going to be crucified, capital punishment, they would be seen walking through town either with the entire cross or the cross on the back beam of it, and they would be walking towards their execution site. And you know what they knew? They knew that that was a one-way trip. That wasn't somebody just walking across around the neighborhood to make a statement. That was a dead man walking. And so he turns around and says, look, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to be like that guy you saw the other day walking down the street carrying his cross to the death. I told you, this is fun, isn't it? A condemned person had to carry his cross to the crucifixion site so Jesus' listeners knew what he was talking about. Now look, not every Christian in here is going to have to suffer a horrible death like crucifixion and capital punishment. However, every Christian disciple will suffer somehow. Carrying a cross always led to death on a cross. And if we are followers of Jesus, we have a cross to bear. We are to put our differences and our wants and desires. It's okay to have desires. You know, if you have dreams and hopes for your life and for your family, you ever thought that maybe God is the one who gave those to you? There's nothing wrong with that. But when they become more strong than serving Jesus and doing what he's called us to do, that is where the rub is. And so look at uh, this verse, Luke 9.23. Very familiar passage. Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. There were two or three action words there. Give, take, and follow. Disciples are cross bearers. If you consider yourself a disciple of Christ... You are a cross bearer. So what does that mean? Let's look at verses 28 through 33 where we see that count the cost means be honest with Jesus and with yourself. It says in verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Isn't it amazing? But Jesus equates being a disciple to building in a battle. To building in a battle. Commitment to Jesus is a serious business. And a disciple does not look at being a disciple like being a part of a club or something that you will commit to for right now. See, when we commit to Jesus, it is a commitment with our life. Everything that we have is His, and to use as He sees fit. Whether in little or much, there is no room for turning back. I have talked with people before that, that when they were younger, they were, they were taken on hell with a water pistol. And at some point, as they got older and learned new things, they're not doing that as much anymore. And some have actually walked away from the faith. And so that makes me wonder, were they followers of Jesus? Or were they disciples 
of Jesus. Whether in little or much, there is no room for turning back. And then the third thing that we see, the only way to experience a disciple life is to fully commit. Notice it says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good. What do you call flavorless salt? Little rocks? (laughs) Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. Boy, there's some Greek for you. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. What What is he saying here? Here it comes. Flavorless Christian living is not Jesus' fault. If you are trying to attempt to live a Christian life and it's not all you thought it was cracked up to be, or you're still kind of at a distance trying to figure it out, what this passage is saying here is that if your flavorless Christian life is not Jesus' fault, it's the lack of commitment of the one following Him. You see... Salt can lose its flavor, and when it gets wet, then it dries, and it is left but nothing but tasteless residue. Salt that has lost its saltiness has no use. Salt that has lost its saltiness has no use. Disciples who are not following Jesus have lost their use. And so a life commitment to Jesus cannot be Jesus plus anything. Look, I am so grateful that you have added worshiping at Homeland Park Baptist Church today at 10.30 in the morning to your schedule this week. And I am grateful for it. But if this is just one box to check off of the many you have for the week, I think Jesus is saying, look, take take a harder look at what you're doing and why you're doing this. Because too many people today are trying to take Jesus and add him to what they want to do rather than looking to Jesus and doing what He wants us to do. Jesus does us a favor here. In this challenging passage, Jesus, I love this, Jesus doesn't soft coat this or soft sell the commitment required to be His disciple. He doesn't want a large number of half-hearted followers. He wants a few that will give Him their lives. He wants disciples that are all in. He's willing to, that they're willing to give their lives and their love for them just like He did for you and I. So, my friends, if anybody ever sold you the lie that if you are a Christian, everything is going to work out and every day is going to be a great day, they have lied to you because if you are a Christ follower and you go where He goes, yes, you will be in heaven, but you have to bear a cross as well. There is suffering in the Christian life. But the thing is, is that He wants disciples that are all in. So if your Christian life is not all that you would like it to be, the answer is not to do less or give up, but it's to jump in and get more committed. I don't know about you, but if if, if someone were to gift me with a, a brand new sports car that had... More horsepower than is healthy for me. You know, and and then the preacher, go ahead and take it for a spin. I don't think I would, and you know, I don't know. I mean, I would obey the speed limit. But let's say we go to a place where you can let her eat, so to speak. 
Would you want to halfway do that throttle? Nah. Put it to the floor. As we say, blow the soot out. And experience all the power that vehicle has. But there are many Christians today that are just tapping the accelerator of their faith. Barely enjoying the ride that Jesus has for them. And it's not his fault. It's because they haven't given Jesus all that he requires, which is their life. Who is the main character in your life story? It's a pretty good question. I was listening to David Guzik of Enduring Word, and they're out in California, so I guess this would probably resonate with his congregation more. But this is the season of many award shows where entertainers and media personnel pat each other on the back for their achievements. And there are many categories that are awarded, but the most popular ones are what? Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. My question is, in the story of your life, who's the main character? Is it you? Is Jesus a supporting character in your life? Or is Jesus the main character? I'm not, you know, if, if I'm saying this to you, he's speaking to me too on this, folks. We all have areas where we have become lackadaisical. We have all let areas slide. We all have kind of taken the back seat in some areas. But what he's saying here is that, remember, I have called you. you I, have, I have paid a price for you. And I have sacrificed for you. And so, trust me. If you sacrifice to me, you will be rewarded. Let me ask you this. Would you rather follow the script you wrote for your life, or would you rather follow the script that Jesus wrote for you? Would you rather have the best of what you wanted, or would you rather have God's best? The only way to find God's best is by being a disciple. If you are a true disciple, you are following the life that Jesus died for in order for you to live it. So again, I mean, as, I, as I preach this message, I would love for it to have been five points how you can be a better person. And we could go out here and, and kind of self-affirm one another and we'd be great. But that is not what Jesus wants us to do. This room is filled with people that at some point have prayed to receive Christ as their personal Savior. And my question is, if you are not living the life that you think you ought to be living, then I would urge you, implore you, encourage you to pray and find out what's holding you back from doing that getting that out of your life and finding this true committed life that Jesus has for you. We have needs here. We have needs for people to get more involved in discipleship. We have needs for people to get more involved in leadership. We have needs for more people to do things around here. We have needs for more people to take younger ones under the wing and teach them and, and, and nurture them in the, in the scriptures But if no one's willing to go deeper and do that, then it's just a matter of time. It's just, I I don't want to see people in our sanctuary, in our church, live under the excitement that Jesus has for them. And it's all by becoming a disciple, giving your life to Christ, and saying, this is what I'm planning, but Jesus, whatever you got, show me, and I'll put my will 
in line with yours. That's what this passage is saying. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time today. And Lord, as we have our time of invitation this morning, the invitation is clear. The invitation is this. The invitation is if there is anyone here today that has not been a follower or a disciple and they realize today that they need the forgiveness of their sins, they want to become a Christian today, they want to be your disciple, then may they make that decision today. They can come forward. I will pray with them and we will get them started on the greatest journey of their life. And there are many here today that would say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm a follower, but I don't know really if I'm a disciple because there are many things that I have not given in my life to Jesus. And if that's you today, maybe today's the day you make a commitment to do that. Maybe you want to join this church or get baptized or you just have a prayer need, you want to come to the altar. Whatever your need is this morning, would you please respond? Would everyone stand and sing? Our